You're on the panel with uh, Dr Ella Henry and Mark Sainsbury and I just want to bring you the very latest from civil defence in Hawke's Bay uh, as it comes to hand because as uh, we pointed out there is uh, very limited connectivity so radio is really uh, the main place. So here we go, it's fairly long but uh, uh, here it is here. In Wairua, the Wairua River has burst its banks inundating 10 to 15% of the town which is home to around half of the town's 8,000 population with no power or phones, the only communication is via satellite phone. There is very limited supplies of food and water, with no drinking water supply due to the flooding. The Mohaka Bridge on State Highway 2 has been damaged, cutting off Wairoa from the south. With Tairawhiti Gisborne heavily impacted by the cyclone, the roads north are also impassable, isolating around 8,000 residents. In the CHB, uh, Central Hawke's Bay, the Waipawa and Tokitoki Rivers have topped their banks and there is a high probability of the stop bank failing with continued rainfall. The town water supply has failed due to flooding and the community are relying on their emergency supplies. In Hastings and Napier, around 16,000 people are without power. And then Ngā River overtopped its banks, resulting in the evacuation of Ōmahu. Earlier in the day, Teradale and parts of Miani were evacuated given the level of Tutakori River. However, that alert was lifted at 4pm and residents advised they could return home. A number of bridges remain impassable, including Fernhill Bridge, Omahu, Vicarage Road, Pukitapu, Waohiki, Taradale and Brooksfield Bridge, Miani and the Esk Bridge north of State Highway 2 intersection with State Highway 5. Wakakotai has closed the bridges on State Highway 2 due to safety concerns. Combined with roads being blocked due to flooding and trees, Napier and Hastings are now isolated from each other. The Hastings and Napier drinking water supplies remain operational, but with the community asked to restrict their use to reduce the impact on the wastewater network. Estar Valley has been particularly hard hit by the cyclone with extensive damage and one person remains trapped in their home in Putorino following a slip. So you're on the panel on RNZ National. Stay listening to us. If you are uh, having connectivity, if you are able to um, get connected with the internet, now you check rnz.co.nz. We have a blog there. That's all the latest there. You can get in touch if you are connected to us by text to one. Zero one. You can email me at the panel at rnznational.co.nz. Let's have a little bit of music. Sometimes when we touch, the honesty is too much, and I have to close my eyes and hide. I want to hold you till I die. Till we both break down and cry I want to hold you Till the fear in me subsides Yeah, well, downhill sometimes when we touch It's a tough day for so many But hey, it's also Valentine's Day We've got to mark it We've got to mark it with a song Anything to put a bit of shine into our lives And with us this afternoon 
is Trina. Trina, welcome to the panel. Kia ora. And kia, kia ora, ora, Ella. Yeah, keep going, kia Trina. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Trina, tell us, um, because we've been asking for, I guess you could call them shout-outs, couldn't you? Just, just a small shout-out to someone you love. What's your one? Um, mine was to my husband, Paul. We met 23 years ago, just a few days. We can't actually remember what day it was, but it was a few days before since uh, St. Valentine's Day. Um, and, yeah, and he, he got me this weird little present, this weird little thing, <laughs> like a little bird cup <laughs> thing that you put on the shelf because he, he was like, I should get her a present, but we haven't known each other that long. <laughs> so that's sort of our little thing is getting weird little gifts for each other. <laughs> it's so wonderful that after all these years, you know, cause you can still remember. I mean, that's but those little significant moments, they are worth remembering, Ella, because it's almost back to your. I've been thinking this is about connection. Absolutely, and I think all of our conversations tonight and today have been about how do we connect and trauma. You know, when the internet breaks down, what what are the best ways? So. I am not a big fan of of days where they've become so commercialized you have to go out and spend a lot of money. But I do think of those kinds of days, the idea that we've got one day in the year where you can just reach out to somebody or some people and say, I love you, I value you in my life. That's a pretty cool thing to do. Yeah, fair point, Trina. Yep, I would agree with that. Yeah, Mark? It's... um... Well, of course, every day is Valentine's Day in my house, uh, Wallace. Absolutely. Um, There's the promo. <laughs> no, yeah. Look, I, I'm like, I mean, I'm like Ella. I, it's, it's a bit like sort of Halloween and stuff. That you get these things that are seen to be commercially motivated coming. And um, I went into the dairy today to get a paper. I always still get a physical paper to do the crossword. And um, I must say, I looked at the $45 bunch of roses sitting there and I thought, no, 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 I can just say it with a smile. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, look, it is good for, like, for Trina and remembering something so special. All that's great, and you, and you don't want to take that away from them. But I am sort of very wary. It's the commercialization. It's just another way of reaching into our pockets is, uh, is my fear. What about you, Wallace? Do you mark Valentine's Day? You know, because the shops were closed, I marked it today <laughs> with... <laughs> Here you go. I marked it with um. I it was 11 p.m. last night. I was doom scrolling through all the you know all the all, all the weather updates and actually just keeping in touch. And I thought to myself, I must do something. So what I did, Trina, Ella, Mark, is I realised there was a bit of spare red paper in the cupboard. I drew a heart. I cut it out and I stuck it onto a tiny bar of chocolate. Winner, winner. <laughs> cheap, Ella. He's cheap. <laughs> hey, hey, Kia ora, Trina, and thanks for being with us this afternoon on the panel. Can, can ora, I also Trina. just do a shout-out to my whanau in um, here? I just hope they're all yeah, safe. Of course, of course. Yeah. Yep. Thank, Thank you, you, Trina. Uh, all right, sure there. So uh, what's, uh, what's, what's, what's your shout-out to your loved one? Uh, and to Tabitha, uh, I love you and happy Valentine's Day. It is 18 to 5. You're on the panel on RNZ National. Now, the recent flooding, both with the last massive inundation and the cyclone, drains fill, overflow into basement homes and streets, has led many talking about storm water and just what we need to change. You heard Mayor Wayne Brown talk about that at 3.45 on the panel. Is it installing larger drains and pipes to build a more resilient stormwater system? That would be a major undertaking. And, hey, 
Who would pay? Asad Shamsaldin is an associate professor, civil and environmental engineering department at the Faculty of Engineering at Auckland University. Uh, Dr. Shamsaldin, welcome. Uh, well, uh, thank you very much for um, hosting me at uh, for allowing me to speak at. Uh, at, uh, at your radio station. Pleasure. Uh, look, this has been a long time coming, hasn't it, this issue? But it's fair to say the floods, the cyclones, it's given a real sense of urgency to this issue. Yes, I, I agree with you. But I think uh, the first thing that is we need to understand is that is um, the event that is we're experiencing in January and February, they are extreme and they are very rare. Our storm water system are not designed to cater for uh, this, uh, what, I, what I call super uh, events. However, I think the sentiment which is coming through the media is that is people are not happy with the level of flooding. Then the question for decision maker or for like Auckland Council and also other councils around around the country is that is what are they going to do to fulfill the community uh, aspiration? Indeed, we've got a panel with us, uh, Assad, and they'll have some questions on this. So what about you, Ella? Yeah, I, I agree that this is an extraordinary series of events. But on the one hand, that may be true. On the other, I am actually a firm believer that this is a part of the new normal with the rising of temperature of the oceans uh, and of other variables that come from global warming. We are now facing uh, a very uncertain future. And, and we have, in particularly Auckland City, our biggest city, um, we have infrastructure and drains in some suburbs that are nearly 100 years old. They simply cannot cope with the increased population, the increased change in weather, and, and I think you know, the whole point behind Three Waters, whether we agreed with it or not, was that it was looking at how do we manage our water going forward. And this has become increasingly critical and can no longer be just a political issue. We actually have to sit down and go, how do we make our country and our cities and our roads safe? And that's got to be the priority moving forward. Assad? I think the I think there has to be a conversation between the government or the local authorities and the community with regard to what is what risk or what level of risk that is they could tolerate, and that will actually inform the design of uh, stormwater infrastructure or any uh, upgrading or any uh, adaptation. Again, I think there is one point which I would like to. Uh, to note here is that is uh, stormwater management is not only about having pipes, pipe networks. We need also to think uh, more holistically about the stormwater management because at the end of the day, the stormwater system will, of course, will help us to mitigate the flood impact and at the same time also will help us to um, manage the water quality, which is in some parts of the country, is discharged into water bodies such as stream and harbor. So it has a dual uh, function. So when we are thinking about any work or any upgrading of uh, of the stormwater system, we need to think about the two together. We cannot isolate 
uh, the two from each other. Yes, I think uh, that's been brought up in other uh, forums, hasn't it? That notion of, I guess, uh, spongy cities and uh, sort of uh, uh, building in the infrastructure more uh, open stormwater systems, that type of thing. Mark Sainsbury. Asad, is it possible to design our way out of any risk? Or will there always be some residual risk in the system? Well, okay, there is always be a residual, residual risk because a fundamental concept in engineering design is that as you design for a certain load or a certain capacity, there is always a probability that uh, that your load or capacity will be uh, will be exceeded. So that is the conversation we need to have. We need to have with the community. What can they tolerate? Of course, if you tell the engineers, you know, design something which is, uh, what do you call it, uh, is less risky and in terms of provide a better protection to the community, they could design it. But then there will be a cost associated with that one. There will be also, uh, if you want to upgrade or implement a solution, it will take time. Yep. A lot of disruption. Yeah. I, no, sorry, sorry, Mark, we've actually got a, a running up a, a time, so we do have to move on for that. But no, no doubt we will uh, come back to this. Uh, Wayne Brown discussed this very topic uh, about an hour ago, so I'm surely here more with us. Uh, for now, though, that's Asad Shamsuddin from the Civil and Environmental Engineering Department at Auckland University. It's 12 away from 5. Just a word on this. After every major weather event, there's the inevitable clean-up, and many people, no doubt, will be going over their insurance policy with a fine-tooth comb. So to discuss briefly what you are and aren't covered for and what to expect in the coming weeks and months, we have Karen Stevens on the line, who is the Insurance and Financial Services Ombudsman. Kia ora, Karen. Kia ora, how are you? I'm well. First question I have is, can you make repairs to homes to make it safe to live in, or does that affect future claims? Before you do any repairs, you should really um, contact the insurer to see, you know, what should be done, what shouldn't be done. But I think in these really difficult circumstances, if they're urgent repairs, then they can be done. You need, though, to document very carefully what's been done, why it's been done, photos, receipts, all of that sort of thing. Um, Bearing in mind, I think that everybody's under pressure yeah. There aren't really enough tradies around to do all of the work, um, and it is going to take an awfully long time for some of these things to be fixed. So um, I think that the best thing I can do as the Insurance and Financial Services Ombudsman is to warn customers of insurance companies that really it's going to take a whole lot longer than things normally will take Um you know, things are not going to happen in a hurry. People have to be really patient. If they have to do stuff to make places safe, then go ahead and do it, but just make sure it's well documented. Um, there are all sorts of things, I think, that insurers will be looking at at the moment, and it's only those people who are really in the most dire circumstances who will get, you know, really fast responses they will be prioritised. In our experience at the IFSO scheme, if you've got a claim that's maybe been ongoing prior to the the January flooding and now cyclone Gabrielle uh, instances of damage, 
those claims will be much slower being dealt with. You know, the focus is going to be on getting the most immediate, most urgent, the worst damage fixed the faster. So, yeah, I urge consumers to be really patient because it's going to take a whole lot longer than it would normally. All right, very good. Uh, Mark? Yeah, Karen, as you say, I mean, some people don't have any connectivity. They can't use their phones or their internet. They're having to make decisions straight away on the circumstances of where they're living. Um, is there a risk that the insurance companies could turn around and, you know, say to them, oh, hang on a minute, you shouldn't have done that? I think that if everybody's, you know, looking at it on the basis of what can you do in these particular circumstances, you take you take reasonable steps. And I think that the insurers will be much more flexible in these circumstances than they would be potentially in a one-off situation where you do have more time and you do have more ability to contact people and make those inquiries. These are extenuating circumstances and they are dire for so many people that I think insurers will take that into consideration. And as I said, you know, if there are urgent repairs that have to be done, they will expect people to get on and do what they can. But they need to be photographed. They need to actually have a good record of what yes. they did, what they needed to do. Brief response from uh, Ella? Uh, look, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, all we've focused on today, which I think is so important, is how do we build community? How do we communicate in crises? How do we support each other? And I think we've had some really good ideas and strategies come through, which I know I've taken on board. I mean, if it means we go back to smoke signals in the future just to let them people in the next valley know what to do <laughs> yeah. so be it you know I, i'm trying not to be trivial but we we may be dealing with the new normal and we have to come up with new strategies to keep ourselves safe mm. hey karen thanks for your time appreciate it this I afternoon yeah, yeah. luck with us too Thank you, thank you. Kia ora, Karen. Yeah, that's Karen Stevens there, Insurance and Financial Services Ombudsman. Now, tomorrow on the panel, uh, I've just had a thought. I really, um, something really resonated with me this afternoon, and it's about uh, 82-year-old Dave cleaning the culverts. Uh, it's, it's, it's about the local heroes across the Motu who have just gone above and beyond, be it your, your volunteer fire brigade, of course, or just the person doing the everyday bit. Lynn says... Wallace, you guys, RNZ, along with all the emergency services, local volunteers, you're the real heroes because you've kept us totally informed every day since the January 27 floods. Not quite sure if um, uh, we're heroes, but I do know that there are many out there that are, and I would like you to nominate a local hero, and you can email me, the panel at rnz.co.nz and I'll pick those up for tomorrow's show. Please, I'd love to hear from you uh, on that. Your local hero in your area. Just finally to this, a word on this, a very important uh, story as well. A measles case has been confirmed in Aotearoa for the first time since the 2019 outbreak. The person is an adult living in Auckland. Te Ora advised on Monday night they were infected overseas but did not become infectious until their arrival here and there are several public exposure events between Sunday Feb 5 and Saturday Feb 11 where measles could have been passed to others. William Ranger is Te Order Public Health Specialist. Kia ora William. Kia ora Potentially serious issue, a very serious illness that can spread quickly? Correct. Um, if 
uh, if a COVID case can infect uh, two or three people, measles can infect uh, up to 15 people per case. Oh. So it's highly infectious. Gosh. And Te Whata Order is currently tracing all contacts of the case? Correct. The person uh, was mainly in Auckland during that period, but they did travel to the Bay of Plenty and the Waikato uh, over the 5th and the 6th of February. The places that they were at are published on the Ministry of Health website. So I encourage people to have a look at that. If they see that they were at uh, any of the exposure events or places of concern, they can call Healthline. Um, and uh, with, uh, the number for that is 0800 611 116 uh, and uh, take advice. Very good. Um, and that, he- well, that, that uh, website, health.govt.nz, you'll see the news there. This is measles case that's just been confirmed. Uh, we don't yep. want the spreading in the community, Ella. Another uh, serious issue here. Yes. Absolutely, and I'm so glad that vaccination rates, you know, we've got to get those vaccination mm. rates up, get your get your babies protected. We've had a big conversation about vaccination, but this is one of those ones we just all have to get vaccinated. Thank you. A- absolutely. Um, the MMR, measles, mumps, rubella vaccination, is very effective. It's safe uh, and it's free. So I really encourage, particularly um, people with young children, uh, check to see that they've had their two doses of MMR, and if not, uh, see their uh, uh, GP. Mark? Yeah, but so this is this was a case that came from overseas. Um, so with the with the vaccine, I mean, should people be fine? I mean, who who is at risk? Because people my right. age aren't, are they? No, people, well, I don't know when you were born, Mark, but uh, people born before 1969 are generally considered to be immune. It's people born after that who may right. not have had two doses of MMR. Those people should check with their GP. And if in doubt, get get a dose of MMR. It's free and it's safe. Even if you have already had two, an extra dose wouldn't uh, harm you. Mm. And now, uh, in terms of the symptoms, explain more about the symptoms, what to watch for. It begins with a generalised illness, uh, temperature, runny nose, uh, pink eyes, um, and then it, after about three or four days, moves on to a distinctive rash, which starts on the face and then spreads on to the body. It's a uh, mottled sort of uh, rash. Now, the thing to do, if you're concerned that you or someone you care for may have measles, it does need to be checked out, but phone ahead to the uh, to the clinic to, to let them know that you think it might be measles. That way they can keep you separate and not infect anyone else. Oh, kia ora, William. Thank you for your time this afternoon. Uh, that's Te Whata Ora Public Health Specialist. So a measles case confirmed. Uh, so uh, infected overseas, their public exposure events are on the website health.govt.nz. And finishing it off with a wonderful message here. Good afternoon, Wallace. It's my husband's birthday and it's Valentine's Day. After 50 years, we still love each other every day. Don't need one day to celebrate that. Cheers, Angela from a wet and windy Auckland. And what a wonderful way to end the show. Happy Valentine's Day to you both, Mark, Ella. I don't know if you're doing anything, Happy Valentine's Day, New Zealand. Don't don't send me a handmade cut. (laughs)
<laughs> Don't send me a handmade card. Well, okay. listen, just one thing. I had a text from dear friends of mine, Keith and Catherine. She said I did exactly what Wallace did. I made Keith a homemade card last night. Go. Not going to get caught in this commercial Good on rubbish. You. All right, your local hero. <laughs> your local hero. What are they? Email me, the panel at rnz.co.nz. Checkpoint with Lisa Owen next. Stay with us right here on rnz.co.nz.